0: how's it going everyone today we have a very special guest uh, we have rick hogg who is the founder and principal of Warhawk tactical a 29 year combat uh army veteran with i believe 13 uh, tours and you're also the co-host of all the rage podcast and how i was able to find you is because we have a mutual friend jason piccolo uh people like that that um we're commenting on your stuff and Marcus Torgerson. And so one of the things that really draw me to your content was that you, not only you were a veteran, but your training and knowledge that you put back out to the public for people to just absorb is incredibly impressive.
1: Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, you know, Warhog Tactical, here's the thing you have to understand. Its premise actually goes back to 2002. So when I was teaching at the 7th Special Forces Group Advanced Urban Combat Committee, when the first group of guys went back to, you know, went over to Afghanistan and came back and said, "Hey, man, that stuff you taught me saved my life," that was the hook for Warhog Tactical. And then, you know, for me, part of it is, like you said, giving back. I want to imp- improve people's skill set, uh, whether it's my law enforcement, my civilians, my military guys. Here's the thing: I hope they never have to use it, but God forbid they do, they've got a skill set to save their life and bring themselves home.
0: Now, was it we'll jump into it right now. One of the things I'm curious about. As an instructor, how hard is it for you, or is there a what is the difference between teaching a civilian versus someone that was in the armed forces or a prior law enforcement? Is there a is it tough to kind of reteach someone who's already kind of not done what you've done, but kind of oh, I've is there like is there ego involved with anything like that?
1: It, each student's different, so what I try to do is when I'm out there teaching, I try to have them, you know, I basically tell them this. If you do what you have, what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. So try different things. So not saying that, you know, my way is the right way, because I don't really say, hey, here's a way, here's some things to try. Uh, You know, prime example, you know, you look at trigger finger, everyone goes, oh, you've got to do this part of your trigger finger. Okay, that's cool. What if you got big hands, small hands? I, I can't sit there and go, you've got to place your finger right here, because not all people's hands are the same. Not all people's firearms are the same. So, you, but you want to throw them some things to go, hey, try this. And they go, oh, yeah, sticking more in works better, sticking less works better. It, you know, it's changing things up. So, for the most part, I don't have uh, a lot of people having dramas, but what you find is they go right back to what they know. So, it's hard to break those old habits, if you want to say. Uh, not a whole bunch of people go, well, I've always done it that way. Okay, great. It, that's cool if you want to have that mentality. I, I'm not going to bust you on it, but try this. You know, or, or, the, or the classic, my law enforcement guys, I, I love those guys, man. Hey, I had a guy 15, he'd been on the department 15 plus years. And one of the drills that we do at Warhog is we always shoot, uh, you know, basically targets with, with t-shirts on them because I want to replicate reality. And he's like, I've been in law enforcement 15 years. How come I've never done this? I was like, talk to your training guy, man. I, I don't know. So, you know, you get some stuff like that. And that's really the thing is just trying to bridge the gap. How do I make a flat range, not a flat range, and get them in the process of going, how can we make it as close as to reality as you can, or get that mindset? And a lot of times, you're not going to shoot a piece of paper. That's not reality. So I have my students bring out old t-shirts, and we put them up there, because you'd be surprised what happens when all of a sudden, that pristine aiming point that you're used to having on that paper goes away. Right. Now you have a now you have a big big piece of cloth on there. So... We use it as a teaching point, and just try to you know harness that reality.
0: And what's fascinating? if People go to your Instagram or social media pages. The the training, which you talk about, is the paper target stuff is great for just understanding. But what if it's raining out? What if you're in the great your footing's off, or there is someone shoot back at you, or it's dark out, or different lights? It's that training mm-hmm. right there is there's such a value to that.
1: Sure, and we also put you know especially for my law enforcement, you know, so the free law enforcement training that I'm doing is really going to start ramping up this year. But one of the key components we plug in there is that shooting under physical dress. And we do that, you know, my good friends over at uh, brute force, who's part of our industry partners, they basically provide the sandbags and we use those to help the officers increase their heart rate, put some muscle fatigue on there. And then, oh, by the way, you know, actually have to utilize their firearms. So yeah, How it's they- just trying to,
0: how was this pandemic affected you? Obviously, I, it's affected everyone. But in the sense of besides the I, your class sizes being affected, or even even having classes, it's the physical nature of it. Mm-hmm. Mental, the physical aspect of it. How has it affected you? And are you able to kind of relay that information as a leader, instructor to people that are going to your class now? They're trying to come out of this funk.
1: Yeah, you know, here's the thing. People sit there and go, "Man, 2020, oh, terrible year." I'm going to say for Warhawk Tactical, check it out, man. We started up a podcast. Yeah. You know, we grew. We yeah, we grew legs in different areas we didn't think. Now, granted, our product line that we wanted to launch that gut held up, uh, but really, there's other pros to it. So I just try to instill the positive in people. So if you're going to sit there and go, "Oh, what was mean? My life sucks." Yada yada. Well, shame on you. You're not doing anything to enhance yourself. Um, You know, I hate to say it, but you're probably gonna see the biggest people take it in the shorts if they were smart would be all your gyms because I think hopefully people figured out, hey, I don't need to go to the gym to go get my workout in. I realized that early on when I retired as an entrepreneur, it's like, hey man, I don't have time to spend 30 plus minutes up to maybe an hour a day just driving to the gym that's wasted time. That's inefficiency. So my home gym was already being built, you know, well prior to, and then just kind of adding some things here and there. Um, but man, if guys haven't figured out, I can still work out at home, dude, get yourself a brute force bag. That thing will crush your soul, providing you want it to crush your soul. And it, yeah, I'm telling you, man, a simple, stupid thing is a sandbag. Yeah. You know. see
0: you do that on there and I look I'm I'm definitely gonna get one and it kind of reminded me of like growing up like your dad my dad would be like all right grab that bag of cement or empty that lawnmower, or empty the wheelbarrow or move these Mm -hmm. bricks for me or it's just the concept of the stuff around your house and the easy stuff where you just kind of how the monotony of just pick up a hay bale or a bag of sand it's just it's it's incredible that it it took a pandemic or whatever we're going through right now for people to realize that.
1: It, well, I just think it was people got accustomed to going to the gym. So if you look at it, it you know, when you're looking at your workout routines, I'm going to do you know what's it back and buys or bench and tries or whatever you know the little buzz things are not working my legs. Hey, man, have some functional fitness. So part of it, when you look at some of the stuff I've done as well. So again. Prior to the pandemic kicking off, I was already kind of interested in looking at airsoft as a supplemental tool and it just, everything fell in line, right? So people can go, oh, 2020, things lined up to go, hmm, here's some certain things. So now I can basically sit there in my garage, get my workout in. I've got my airsoft that I can use for my marksmanship training. So I got it, especially nowadays, price of ammo going up, uh, ranges being shut down, depending on what state you were in. Right. Man, I can do pretty much all of my training right there in the garage, and I go, people, let's you know get on it. There's no excuses. But you still got those people who want to go. Oh, woe is me! I can't get to the range. Got it? Are you dry firing? No. Why not? It, it cost you nothing. You know, I got it. Airsoft might cost you, you know, probably less than a case of ammo at nowadays prices to get a airsoft pistol and one of the electronic targets. Um, but it's like, just make yourself better. So I try to tell people. If you can make yourself think about it, one percent better every day. I'm not asking for a thousand percent, just one. Right. Man, you know, maybe I read one more page of the book that I was reading. Maybe I did one more rep on whatever I'm doing. Hey, I ran a tenth of a mile. I don't care what it is. Figure out what that one percent is. And if you're doing that, man, you will sit there and crush life. You know, from the entrepreneurial standpoint, I'm learning every single day. You know, I walked out of the military, man, I got this stuff licked. I'm good. Yeah, joke was on this guy, you know, (laughs) what I know about logos and marketing and just all the legal stuff and NDAs and everything that goes with it. Now I'm trying to do US manufacturing, man, you learn, but that's, to me, that's life. You know, that's what you want to do. How do you get yourself better? How do you improve? How do you help those around? And that's the key thing is, especially in the veteran community, man, we're all helping each other out. And if people just took that approach in life, wow, what a concept. Help your fellow person out.
0: Mind-blowing. One of the interesting things that came out of the pandemic is the, the rise of protests. We don't have to talk about that specifically, but that one event in Minnesota, I believe, the couple had the firearms, and they ran out with the – I think she had the pistol and he had the AR. Mm-hmm. And looking at it, I'm kind of like – I felt bad for the situation that we're actually at this where we're at this each other's throats as human beings, but – like legally they got the guns, but part of my thing was like, well, I wish they were properly trained. Sure. So I guess for that, I, my my question to you is how hard, how do you distill this a couple or a person or, or a person that can buy a gun that hey, just because you can legally buy this gun, you're allowed to and you're not breaking the law, but you still have to maintain and trade with it. Like how how is that tough to instill on someone?
1: No. And and actually we, you know, we start even further back than that. So when I was teaching the North Carolina Concealed Carry, the first thing I would ask my students before we even got any instruction, you're here to carry a firearm concealed. Are you willing to take another human being's life? And I had some people like, man, I hadn't thought about it. Excuse me? Because the time that your life is in jeopardy is not the time to go. Am I in it to win it? And I'm not saying you're out there with murderous intent in your heart, looking to burn people down. But here's the thing. In the state of North Carolina, they tell me imminent threat of death, great bodily harm or sexual assault. I can use deadly force to defend myself. It, it, to me, it's cut and dry. There's no emotions involved. There's no thought process. Hey, criteria's met this, this and this. Yep. Boom. End of story. And I just sit there, you know, especially with the amount of gun owners out there today. Number one, have you thought about it? And if you're just out there to shoot paper, cool. I'm, I'm good with that. Just being a recreational shooter. No problem. But if you're buying a firearm to defend yourself or your family members, have you made the conscious effort, number one, to use that firearm to kill another human being? Okay, cool. If you have, great. Number two, I'm going to say, are you getting some training? And then number three, I'm going to say, what are you doing to maintain your proficiency? And I get it. Proficiency is not all about going to the range, especially with the ammo shortage we've got going on. I can be proficient by doing my dry fire training because I'm still working my weapons manipulation, all my marksmanship skills that I need to. I can look at airsoft as another supplement to that. So it it's being a well rounded individual. So I haven't really had any people bucket. Um, I say that um, at least for my civilian students. I, I had it. Believe it or not, I had a couple law enforcement officers were out shooting. You know the t shirts, and they're like, "I don't know if I feel comfortable with this." I'm like, "Excuse me." I'm like, "Number one, you're in a job that will kill you." Right. Number two. Number two, if you're uncomfortable engaging a piece of cloth when there's no threat, what's going to happen when, let's say it was me, you know, I'm trained, I've got the mindset and oh, by the way, I got the experience and I decide today's the day that I'm going off the reservation and I'm going to cause you ill intent. Right. It, you know, you, you're you not going to be able to reach in because you're not comfortable right here. So it's like, I hate to say it, but think about what you're doing because you're carrying that firearm. Yes. For your protection. You're also carrying to protect the, the citizens of whatever municipality you belong to. So just food for thought on that one.
0: The, I love the airsoft idea. Cause if I'm a gun owner and there's an intruder in my house, I'm sleeping, my gun is locked up or whether it's, it's ready to fire or the ammo with the gun, how do I grab my gun if it's dark out or where's the light switch? Like stuff like that. Like I'm always that if you simulate that stuff to training, people mm-hmm. don't know how to react. A sound might sound differently at nighttime versus if a door shut or it just, it always blows my mind and people don't prepare for that because that's what's going to happen.
1: Right. And, well, you got to think about it. You got to run through the whole what if scenario and everyone's different. So are my reactions to a home invasion the same now that I'm an empty nester as it was when I had children in the house? I'm going to tell you they're not. You know, because my children were geographically separated from me in my house. My priority goes to my wife and my kids, right? They're the ones that I'm there. I've got to protect them. Right. So you just, you know, people have to think about it. I don't know your home layout. I don't know, you know, all the occupants that are in there, but you've got to at least think of a plan. Cool. To me, at least dial 911. Get that dialogue going because, yeah, they can sit there and go, where's this call coming from? And if everything goes bad, And I got it. I'm not expecting the police to save me. That's just me. Some people are. Hey, good for you. But you know what? I want to be able to defend myself if need be. And thank God, the state of North Carolina allows me to do that. So, you know, you make your call. Then what are you doing? Are you going to announce? Are you going to go look for who's there? Are you locking doors? Are you sheltering in place? What do you have for a piece of cover? Because God forbid, they've got firearms as well and decide just to shoot in your direction. So you have to think about all these things and just at least run it through scenarios. Just like you said, where's your firearm? Okay, if I've got it in a lockbox. Right. Have, have you ever had your wife, You know, let's say she wakes up early one morning, shake you. Can you pull that thing out? Because that's how it's gonna be. You're gonna be under that duress. Have right. you actually ever done it? Whether you got push buttons, keys, combos, whatever it is, secure that firearm. All right, if you're one that doesn't have it you know, loaded, how much are you practicing actually loading that thing? How many times have you caused a self-induced malfunction just in your loading sequence? Now that's precious seconds you may not be able to recover in that potential deadly force encounter because you've got people breaking into your home. You don't know what their intent is. Right. So it's running through all that stuff. Hey, where's, your, you know, where's the phone sitting at? Is it charged? Is it close by? Do you have a flashlight? You know, All these different things you have to run through your scenario. And then, oh, by the way, have you briefed the family members they are there as far as, hey, if this happens, guys, this is what we're doing. Or this is what I need you to do. Hey, little Johnny, you know, go to your closet in this point so I know that you're, hey, over here, least point of potential bullets flying some way, and I'm going to come and scoop you up. Do not leave under any circumstance until I get you. Just a potential, I don't know. So,
0: right. With your experience in the Army and the life and death situations in Iraq, Afghanistan, and everything in between, do you find it's tough to kind of relay the real horrors and evil of this world to someone a a couple in a suburban, urban environment that don't understand what you've been through, but with everything you're saying will save their lives if, God forbid, they get in a situation?
1: So I try to put it as simple as this.
0: I look at it, you know...
1: Shooting marksmanship—it's an unemotional event, and right. I don't say this to be, um, you know, murderous joking, whatever. But it's like this: if you have the student that's out there and he's beating himself up, you know, fired that shot, shaking his head, cussing, cursing, dude, stop, because that's going to translate over. God forbid you have to actually engage another individual. So to me, I look at it and I try to instill this into my students. Here's the deal: this individual gets a vote. You can either vote. Ill intent towards me, okay, cool. If you checked yes, you're gonna get ill intent back. If you check no, then no harm, no foul. We go about our business just like you pass people every day, and that's what I try to instill in them. Hey, man, at that moment that you're authorized to use deadly force via whatever your state laws are, and again, I give no legal guidance because right. I refer to the state of North Carolina because that's what I know. These are the the laws that I know in this state. Um, if that fits. That criteria imminent threat of death. What is imminent threat of death? Man, it can look different to all kinds of people. But if it meets the criteria to you that, man, I think I'm about to die, it should be unemotional. I get it. You're going to be shaking probably other things going on. But if your mind is already set to go, number one, I know if I have to, I will, because it's all oh, I'll shoot him in the leg. Well, what are you shooting him in the leg? You know, he's still potentially a threat. Doesn't mean it's going to stop. Doesn't mean that you know a handgun round to the leg that you're gonna hit him right there, break his femur, potentially he loses his wheel. Yeah, it can stop, but no. You've got to sit there and go, I'm placing good rounds where I need to place them in a rapid succession as efficiently as I can to stop that threat. If you're already starting to work these things in your mind, God forbid it happens, boom, you just kind of run to autopilot and, and make it happen. That's really what I try to instill. Right. Understand there's evil out there. People have you know ill intent in their heart. But the way you carry yourself, the way you do business—I got it on a home invasion. You've totally—that's a totally separate deal, because evil's sitting there coming in. And at least for the state of North Carolina, they've already told me, you know what? Somebody illegally breaks into your home. Check. You're, you know, in a or uh, you're in fear right. for your life. So you use deadly force to defend yourself. So, um, but yeah, just try to instill that into people so they understand that mental mindset. I think it makes things a lot easier.
0: Have you always been a gear guy, obviously you using all these tools and stuff for the military aspect, but as you transition out, is, was that something that kind of grew as you kind of deal with it, whether it's flashlights or different scopes and stuff like that, or, do, or could, this is this something you've always had a love for?
1: No, I mean, I've always enjoyed it. I mean, as a kid, I was shooting guns. Uh, like I said, the reason why I think it's important, because a lot of people go hey man, you did 29 years, I got it, you're retiring, you're gonna start up a a training company because that's all you know. And that's why I like to premise things up front. Warthog Tactical was actually established in 2002, but you're like, you didn't retire till 2017. Yeah, it was the guys that came back that I taught because in essence, you gotta think about this. When I was at the Advanced Urban Combat Committee, what was I teaching? I was teaching theory. Yeah, I had been to Desert Storm, okay. Was that real combat? Nope. I'm teaching guys theory. When these guys come back and go hey man that theory you taught me saved my life okay check that block now i go over there and make my deployments start going back operational now we're getting the experience you know the stuff i'm teaching rick just didn't pull it out of his back pocket one day and go yeah man this sounds good nope these are things that have worked on the battlefield That saved myself save my buddies' lives and they're proven techniques um it so With all that being said, when it comes to the gear, I'm kind of a minimalist guy, man. I'm I'm not going to lie. All right, yeah, I got a flashlight. Is the fanciest flashlight? It's functional. You know, are there some new ones out there? Yep. You know, are there ones that have umpteen thousand lumens? Yep. And I go, cool, just play with it. And I'm not saying more lumens is good or bad, but sometimes you have a high lumen light, you shine it in your house. Most people have light colored walls. That's a lot of light shining back in your face. Right. Maybe maybe a little bit lower lumen works better for the home. But the higher lumen, hey, I'm a patrol officer. It mainly works in a rural area. So I need that extra, you know, lumens to see out here because there's not a bunch of stuff. Hey, cool. I got it. Um, but you know, it was like I'll give you a prime example. For the most part, I pretty much just carried, you know, the magazine and the pistol. Right. Was how how the way I rolled, right? So I got 16 rounds in there, 15 round mag because I got my Barney Five bullet in there. So I got 16 bullets. With everything kind of ramping up, I'm finding myself, hey man, I might want to carry a spare mag. You know, I've gone to the extent of um, now I've got a 511 backpack and I've got a uh, Premier Body Armor panel in there. So not that I'm all paranoid and freaking out, but there's times I'll take it with me couple extra, you know, a couple extra mags in there. I've got a piece of armor potentially if I need it, you know, a little bit of med stuff and yeah. So it's times have definitely changed and people's mindset needs to, you know, kind of shift because are we all going to sit around and, and have visible body armor on? Probably not. But a lot of times people carry backpacks and it's just a little bit of insurance should something go bad.
0: There must be some gear, though, that comes out that isn't really tailored to the practicality of it where you kind of lick your lips. You're like, man, I want to see what this is really about. Because you see these promo videos sometimes with either Recoil Magazine or Guns Digest. You're kind of like, is that just for someone because they have money to buy it? Because I don't see the practicality in that gear. So when you have the opportunity to try stuff, is there ever kind of like a – you kind of want literally stick it to these people and be like, hey, you're not selling a good product? So now
1: you're getting into a whole nother side of, of Warhog Tactical. And that's when we look at, you know, either uh, our consulting stuff or if we're doing product field testing or product development. Right. And and here's the deal. That's for the most part, when we're doing that, that's a private conversation with that company. Cause in yeah. essence, they're they're coming to me gotcha. to go, hey man, I want you to try X. Roger that. And nine times out of 10, and I used to say this, that I can't be as arrogant nowadays because the ammo isn't there, but I used to tell gun companies, hey man. Can you try out this gun? Sure. And I usually go, I'm going to break it. And they chuckle. Ha, ha, ha. Then usually go, hey, your gun's broke. I'm like, what? Um, but none of that is publicly disclosed. Right. You know, because that's just me. You know, whether we put an NDA in place or whether we put a verbal, however they want to do it, I don't care. To me, you were Jabon. Your if I sit there and go, hey, I'm going to test your piece of kit and you're paying me money for that or put me on a retainer, whatever the case may be, that stays between us. And if that company, hey, if your product's great, cool. Hey, here you go. Uh, if it's junk, hey, man, you might want to go back to the drawing board. So um, that's kind of where I sit as far as all that, when all that stuff goes. Yeah, I was,
0: I was just curious because I'm i trying to picture people that, that these companies will want someone like yourself to, hey, if this is good for this person or it works for them, they, if there is an issue, he's going to be telling me what the problem is. and ultimately. Mm-hmm you want to have a product out there that saves lives or helps the situation as opposed to get in the way of it.
1: 100%. Yep.
0: So my CEO is a breed veteran, and we hire I hire a lot of veterans uh, through the Skill Bridge program to help kind of transition six months early with the job placement and stuff like that. But one of the cool things about you is that you, you're an entrepreneur through and through. And so do you find that you actually – there's a lot of veterans out there that kind of get lost in the shuffle and don't know how to take the skills they had in combat or even if they were to combat their four years or six years of military. Do you find that they, there's not enough out there for them to kind of get the help they need to be a cover entrepreneur or find something that they're good at?
1: Yes. And yes. So here's the deal. Um, The military, and I'll at least speak for the Army side, what the other branches are doing, I don't know because I didn't transition through them. But at least for the Army side, I'll tell you this. I think the Army does a terrible job in the aspect of becoming an entrepreneur, planting that seed. They're very good at, hey, here's how to write a resume. Here, here's how to do a job interview. You know what? No way, man. 29 years I worked for the man. I want to be the man. I want to have all the control of my business. And I just don't think there's enough conversations that happen there. Uh, they've got the boost to business class, which pretty much I think was a couple days of my life that basically was spent, Hey, go get a loan from SBA. I, I don't want a loan, you know, and, and I didn't know, I didn't know. Right. Did you teach me about, Oh, you need a logo. Okay, cool. Where do I go for a logo? What's my logo I need to have? What's, what's the whole premise behind a logo? All right, cool. I got the logo. Hey, am I going to a U.S. patent and trademark office to get that thing trademarked? Because you know what? That's going to be part of my business. And Oh, your logo is going to get you money. You know? potentially when you sell? Do you have a product that you want to take to market? Is it patentable? Do you want a patent? Who's a good patent attorney? I mean, we can go down the road. How do you work social? Because here's the thing. When I left the military, I didn't have any social. I don't want nothing to do with that rubbish. I still don't. Right? Yeah. But, but it was my industry partners, right? And I'm not going to lie. Cat be out the bag. They all kind of know the deal now. But basically, I think it was the um, 2018 SHOT Show. Rick's out there faking the funk is, is the business guy, right? My industry partner's going, hey man, you want social? Of course we are, we're, we're building it. Sounds good, right? Cause that's what most websites say under construction, right? What do I know about social? Yeah, I see my wife and kids on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know what that crap is. So now I've got to sit there and hustle to my kids. Hey man, what's this Facebook and Instagram and blah, 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 trying to get all that. Because again, that's how industry partners are doing business. Oh, by the way, I've got to build a website. Okay, uh, did my transition from the military? They go, hey, that's cool, going to GoDaddy, but they're probably not the best e-commerce website because oh, you've got to sell stuff potentially, or maybe your website's just putting information out about you and hey, they contact you, or whatever. But I need an e-commerce website. So basically, I'm on my third web provider, working that. Man, where would I be today? How much time would I still have, if you want to say, in my pocket? Right. Had somebody educated me. Hey, when you're looking at a website provider, here's some things to look at. What are you looking to do business-wise? You know, oh, by the way, we found these guys to be friendly, these guys not. Um, You know, my last one, here's the thing. I don't need to charge sales tax on a service. But they keep charging me tax when people enroll for the class. And I'm like, stop the madness Well, we can't fix the button or flick the switch. I'm like, all right. So now I got to waste time, which I'm happy I did, to be honest with you, because the the provider I have now, phenomenal. I, I think our site has come uh, a long way, really got the flexibility to kind of put what I want in there and do what I want. But nobody told you that stuff. Um, you know, manufacturing in the U S everyone tries to push you overseas, screw overseas, man. I want that flag in the back there. I want my stuff to say made in the USA. I want pride. I'm proud to be an American. And you know what? I want to be proud and give some other people in this country, a job that's making products for me that I'm selling back. So call me old fashioned, call me just, you know, principle related, but that's just me. All right, cool. You know, if you want to go overseas because that fits you, whatever. I get it. I'm not bad mouthing you,
0: right?
1: But they're they're not telling you how to do that stuff, and it's all just learn as you go. So, um, I would tell every veteran out there, I would take a hard look. Uh, and here's the thing: another thing not set up for success, probably about your four year mark that you think you're going to retire. Go, hey, do I want to be an entrepreneur? And here's why I say four years. Because really, if you say yes, I would go ahead and get your business started. Doesn't mean you've got to actually run it full, Monty. Um, you got to look at hey, I don't know where DoD's policies are when it comes to social and all that other stuff, but figure out hey, how does social work? Uh, what's your business name? Because you got to think about your name, right? Right. So if, so if you look at me, Warhog Tactical, people, go, man, it's a cool name. They don't understand Hog is my last name. Right. So so being premised, looking back to You know how businesses were first ran in this country. You know, here's a prime example. I'll just look at the firearms industry because that's what I'm in. Why is Colt called Colt? Why Smith and Wesson Smith and Wesson? Why is Glock Glock? Why is Daniel Defense Daniel Defense? They are people's names. Yep. And and I'm not smashing those companies that don't have their names attached. But I had a buddy of mine when I first told them what my business name was, and I had my and I've had my business since '98. Um, He's like, man, that thing stinks. I'm like, what do you mean? It's awesome. He's like, where's your name? And almost gave me that reality slap to the face going, hey, get yourself in check, dude. I was like, hey, man, I appreciate it. So that's where we kind of did, you know, Warhawk Tactical rebranding. Oh, by the way, you got to rebrand. So now I go go back to the state of North Carolina, uh, Secretary of State, file papers, go to the IRS, all this stuff that, you know, again, granted, in 98, I was none the wiser, but I just tell people, do it at the four-year mark. And here's why. File your paper, get your business up and going. When you finally get out, you know, hopefully if you've been in business for three plus years. Because if you are looking to uh, get certified through the VA as a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, you've got to be in business three years. Hmm. Why are we not telling our people that prior to? So now I get out, let's say I want to bid on government contracts and I want to be able to be in that niche window where the ones that are reserved for service disabled veterans and small business, now I'm behind the power curve. So we're not doing ourselves any favors. So that's why I say the transition process, it really needs to start years in advance, at least getting things going. If you want to go work for the man, great. But I would tell you this, you all have the skill and the ability. To you know, be an entrepreneur, it's just figuring out some things. And I guess I don't want to call it ignorance or whatever the case may be. In my case, um, I didn't think I needed things like social. How was I going to market? Ah, you know, word of mouth, or I—I I don't really know. I don't think I had a good marketing strategy. Uh, but it's just working all that stuff. You know, what are you reading for books? What entrepreneurs are you following? Who are you trying to emulate? How are you going to get this thing set up? What's your business plan? Because it doesn't have to be anything military related. Could I get out and do other things? Yep, I could have. But teaching firearms, I mean, that's my passion. That's what I love to do. I love giving people that skill set. And like I said, I hope they never have to use it. But God forbid they do, man. You know, use it efficiently and effectively to stop that threat and bring yourself and your family home.
0: Right. Back in, the, God, Danny, myself, but back in grade school, I, uh, I had this project where I wanted to study. They gave you different topics about wars and famous wars i'm like well i want to study the impact of animals in combat so i went back all the way to elephants and hannibal the alps and the dolphins for sonar and even the japanese using these bats as as a little kamikaze and so part of your story is your canine uh and your dog and that's kind of what i'm really excited to talk about here too is that that's a a relationship you have that not a lot of people could have and Mm -hmm. if you kind of shed some light on that relationship with your dog and kind of how you transition together from the military side into the civilian side.
1: Yeah. So we'll kind of paint some things for the, the listeners, you know, they have to understand the U S dog program, it's had its ebbs and flows. So really it goes back to world war II. Uh, the defensive dogs was basically the uh, military reaching out to civilians going, Hey, we need some dogs. Cause we'd like to have a program because they didn't have one. So civilians actually donated their dogs to the war effort. Uh, I think of the thousands donated; only a couple hundred came home um, wow. back to the families they were initially donated to. So World War II kind of ends; program goes away. Uh, really, wasn't a big push in Korea, but really Vietnam was a big spike. And here's what you got to understand: a lot of things happened in Vietnam. You know, dogs were super successful over there, but the problem was during that time frame, they were looked at as basically equipment. We left. Over four thousand dogs in Vietnam just left them. Our partners that have saved that have saved our life gone. See ya, you know. Um, luckily, in two thousand and two, Congress passes a law because they used to euthanize military working dogs when they basically hit the end of their service. Um, in two thousand, you know, Congress passed a law. Hey, we're no longer going to euthanize uh, these working dogs. We're going to allow them, you know, to be retired and go from there. So, with all that being said, uh, I was fortunate enough to be an SFK nine handler. And I was fortunate enough to retire my second dog, Duco, uh, when we retired. So, yeah, man, I, I reap the benefits of that one. Um, you know, right now he's a 12 year old Dutch shepherd who was just diagnosed in November with osteosacoma. So, we had to end up um, getting his right rear leg amputated in order to prolong his life. But, yeah, I, I mean, the bond between the handler and the canine. Here's the thing I've been married to my wife, you know, 26 odd years now. She still says it this day. The way you look at that dog with those eyes. And it's like you don't get it. The, the things we have done, and me and my wife have our own things, got it. We've got children, all this other stuff. But the the things that me and Duca have done on the battlefield, the experiences we will have, you know, a handful of people in this world will will fully understand kind of that bond. When you've had a dog save your life. Because you've got some people that go, man, these dogs are worth nothing. I'm gonna say these dogs are worth everything. You know, it, it's a game changer. So to me, the probably the biggest combat multiplier out there on the battlefield are those
0: canines. When I was in the Secret Service, there were teams that had the uh, Australian Australian Ball. and you'd see them trade at this facility, jumping through a window, grabbing people, or mm-hmm. just how they would deal with other people and read people and how to find a gun or a weapon. But What really struck me is that while I'm not the handler on that team, you still have to realize that that dog is on your team and to understand the movements. And if you kind of break down, like if you're in combat or back when you were saying Iraq, Afghanistan with Duco, where, how do you, how does your team deal with the dog in a sense that it's, yes, it's part of the mission, but you have to understand that the dog is going to do his stuff without getting in the way of your stuff.
1: Oh, they fully understand that. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So check it out. Um, they fully understand that he's a combat multiplier so much to the extent, uh, I'll give you a prime example. Um, we were on a target one night, you know, launched Duco in, he's doing his business. Now we're, you know, basically post assault. I'm trying to get him back. And I'm trying to find my dog. I can't find him. I'm starting to go, Hey man, what's up? Wow. I look at my monitor. Yeah. I look at my monitor and what do I see? Multicam pants, another team had grabbed him and they're going on to another target building. And I'm like, hey man, a little common courtesy that you got my dog would be nice. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's how much, I mean, these dogs are manifested on our manifest. They're part of the count. Uh, If they get wounded, we're calling in medevac aircraft form. Oh, by the way, US surgeons are treating them if they get wounded. We're not looking for some vet or some, no way, man. They wear the stars and stripes just like us. And they get the full attention. And the boys, those boys want that dog. You know, they want to run with that dog. And they fully know his capability because God knows how many people are here today because of those dogs. Um, You know, you're going out to hunt a bad guy. You know, it's one thing if he's in a building. They can still hide and stuff like that. But, man, when you're out trying to chase a guy that just bolted from that in either some type of field, palm grove, whatever the case may be, trust me, I have watched these dogs basically beat technology and go, yeah, he's here. And licky-loos that were hiding in the bush that easily could have, you know, hemmed us up. Man, the dogs on him, and you're like, "Wow, I thought we had, you know, we were chasing three, and here's this fourth we didn't even know about." Thanks, buddy. So,
0: yeah. After a mission, like you guys, but you guys mean your team, men and women. You could whatever you do to decompress. How does the came nope. to-
1: no, no, ladies, no ladies, no, no ladies. Come
0: on, man. How, how does the dog decompress from a mission?
1: So. Again, he's one of the boys, right? The biggest thing with him is depending on uh, how the mission was that night. Because he never went anywhere without me. Uh, In a perfect world, yeah, in in some places we had kennels for him. In some places we didn't. So, man, he's sleeping in the same room, staying in the same spot. Um, I just had to take a look at, hey, how much did he work that night? Give him a pause point just to stick him somewhere where he's just kind of chilling out. You know, obviously feed him because about that time I'm going to eat anyway. And oh, by the way, if it was a job well done that night, he might be getting some. He might be getting some goodies from the Chow Hall uh, versus just his regular kibble. And then, man, he's hanging out. Whether he's sitting there, you know, hanging out with me, hanging out with the boys, making the loops. Um, so it's funny. One of the guys had people send stupid stuff from back home, and they had this thing called a fishing donkey, which is basically can't remember his motion activator you press the button stupid donkey acts like he's fishing or moving around or something like that man you show one of those things to one of these dogs what do they think it's a toy right Right. what are they gonna do smash that thing yeah you know so i mean the boys want want them as much because it brings a part of uh kind of back home or normalcy into kind of a chaotic world people understand dogs people love dogs um Heck, that dog might have even saved somebody's life somewhere. Either this time, that time, whatever. Um, they'll scratch them, love on them. You now, you got some guys that want nothing to do with them because they've probably had some ill experience. They're like, "Keep that dog away from me." It's like, dude, you know. But Are
0: yeah. there doctors or studies out there now where they can kind of look at a dog's brain to see. I mean, they must still suffer PTSD, correct? Like, they how do they how do you how do you know that? How do you know your dog is okay mentally?
1: You don't. You kind of you kind of go off of what he's doing. Um, okay. it, here's the thing: I wouldn't push the PTSD as much as I would the TBI, okay. and I would I, I would say because here's the thing, and I'm just going to speak from my standpoint, and I believe these dogs are very much on the same point. When you look at TBI and PTS, they are very much signs and symptoms the same, with the exception of if you want to say the reoccurring nightmares. Now. Does Duco have nightmares? No, he has dreams because I can see his little legs rolling, and I know what he's doing, man. He's chasing him some bad guys. Um, so if he have PTS, would he want to re, you know, revisit that? I don't think so. But I do believe these guys—they get their head smashed. um I know his hearing's still good because we used to give him hearing tests to make sure that was there. But again, they're exposed. You know, and we try to mitigate some things. No, we're not putting earmuffs on them because it doesn't always fit and stuff like that. But you try to mitigate uh, their blast exposure to the air, but overpressure, man. That's what people don't get. So a lot of people look at uh, TBIs is a traumatic brain injury. I call it injuries. So you think about this. Every time I detonate a charge, boom, you know, you're eating some type of overpressure. Oh, by the way, the dog's there with you. Why? Because he's rolling in first. Uh, You bring in, you know, danger close airstrike, man, you're eating some overpressure on that one. Uh, So you got all these different things. Yeah, me and Duca, we ended up falling out of a helo one night. I don't think he got knocked out. I got knocked out i lied for the longest time on it and said I had unaccounted time because I didn't want to tell anybody I was knocked out and potentially got my brain busted. My hand was all jacked up, but you know, he seemed to walk away fine. Uh, but I say all that because for the, you know, if there are service members listening, listen, man, you can fix TBIs. Does it take a long part in, in recovery and stuff like that? Yep. Don't be like me. Don't be the idiot that gets knocked out on target and doesn't say anything to anybody. Because that's just not good for anybody all the way around. And especially in the line of work that I was in, man, you're constantly around charges. You know, you're constantly around munitions that are putting off some type of, uh, you know, overpressure that's basically going to smash your brain. So to me, the interesting part is, I don't know if you get a dog to sit still for an MRI and actually see what their brains look like. But yeah, you know, MRI, I'm just like you do your human counterparts. And I'm sure you're going to see, you know, some masses in there. Where their brains have or their bells have been rung.
0: Now, your dog was actually in a video game or the likeness, correct?
1: Yeah. So we did. Um, long story short, talk about it crazy. Uh,
0: I, I want to hear the story because I'm just kind of like. No, no,
1: no, no I'll, I'll give you the full story. So here I am, newly transitioned, uh, you know, service member out in the civilian world. Uh, I've got a relationship with Five Eleven. They reach out and they're like, hey man, we're doing this thing for Far Cry 5. We want you to train some of the actors and you know, different casts and stuff like that. And I said, sure. Well, part of it is in Far Cry 5, they've got this dog called Boomer. Yep. And I guess one of the things Boomer can do is he can recover a rifle and bring it back to the player. And they're like, hey, can Duca recover a rifle? I was like, never train him for that one. But you know what? We'll give it a whirl. And sure enough, we worked on that prior to the filming. And yeah. So we got Duco to retrieve a, you know, full size weighted M4 style carbine. The only thing I did different was I put fire hose on there because I was like, man, I'm not going to risk busting one of his canines, uh, you know, for this. So that was really the only thing we did there. But yeah, Duco ends up. um, So we shot two things. We shot basically a promo video that kind of shows the training of the, um, the Nerdist actors. That was the name of the company, Nerdist. Uh, and then Five Eleven said, cool, man, we want to do a standalone couple minute video of how you taught him how to fetch that rifle. And yeah, What's your and I, yeah, and, and here's the thing, man, I am so grateful. So looking back, uh, I don't have a lot of pictures and stuff like that from the military, especially with me and Duco that to me, cause he's got all four legs there. I mean, he, let's just say more or less he was at his prime, uh, kind of sort of, even though he was kind of medically busted on some things, but he he was still fully functional, man. And that, I just hold that dear because that's my boy, man. You know, he still is my boy. Don't get me wrong, but it'd be nice if he had that other leg, but that's Mm -hmm. all right. Cause, cause that's another point, you know, um, I want to kind of take this whole osteosarcoma, which is basically bone cancer and here in some, you know, some time I want to basically do something to help educate other potential owners, uh, can I handle those out there? If they're going through this situation, just here's, here's what I thought. Here's some food for, food for thought. Here's my thought process on it. Here's some things to expect, you know, cause we're also doing chemo as well and just educate people, man. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is just educate them on the process.
0: And we'll talk about the record after we're done here. Cause I got, I actually have an idea I came up with. After reading okay. That. Um, so just fascinating. And before I let you go, Tell me a little bit more about Other Age Podcast. I know you said, I know why you started it, but what are some of your goals with that? And how how exciting is it for you to kind of talk to different people um, and just hear different people's stories?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge, you know. So really, here's the thing. What are my goals? Hey, Joe Rogan, I'm coming for you, buddy. You know, I right. mean, honestly, I, I want this thing to blow up. I really do. And I don't say it in a hateful way, but just it's that – Whole spirit of hey man, I want to drive this thing, you know, to that type of point. Um, Really, the whole point for me and Mark is yeah, we've kind of leaned on our military circles or our friend circles, but trying to reach out to some different people we don't know. Um, It was funny we were just talking today. Man, how cool would it be? And again, I don't know if anyone's going to talk like this, but hey, get some mobster or some outlaw bike gang member, you know, preferably higher up in the in the food chain. Talk about your story, man. Let's hear about, man. Is this, is all this hype real? Is it not? Is it, hey, where's Jimmy Hoff at? Can you tell me? I don't know.
0: All right. Guys, for you, I'll send you away. Okay, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: But, but, but that's the whole thing is how do we, how do we get interesting guests? And it, you know, it's not scripted. It's not, hey, you know, we kind of thought, hey, let's ask some questions. Let's do this. Let the conversation flow. Uh, sometimes we use it for platforms. Um, a lot of my, you know, veteran entrepreneurs out there, hey, dude, tell us about your business. Tell us about you. Tell us what, what do you got going on? Um, And really it's figuring out because here's the deal. You don't know what you don't know. Okay. Podcasting. Oh, we got approached. Hey, company wants to be a sponsor. What do I know? Yeah, sure. But, you know, we're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but that's the beauty of it. And really it's, it's getting guests and I want it to be twofold. The podcast is never really about us. Although me and Mark kind of do, do our little comms check, which is, Kind of us BS, and but it's how does it enhance our guests we're bringing on? So if if you are a a entrepreneur, cool man, tell us about your business. What can we do to help? How do we get the word out there? Put your stuff in the show notes, and that's really what I think these things should be. Is how do we, you know, help other people along this journey of life? It's not all about me and and this and that. Hey man, I want to make sure that you know your show's successful. I want to make sure that you know my guests that I got coming on next week. Hey, you know their business is is successful. So that's really, you know, the the key goal, and really we dub it, you know, we talk all things America, so nothing's off limits. And I say America, but that's kind of bad because we've had, um, you know, some Canadians on there. I think we've got some Aussies and some Brits kind of lined up, uh, maybe a couple of Germans here, you know, just reaching out to different people we know. But we say it in the broadest of sense because both me and Mark very proud uh, to have that title American attached. You know to our names which i think is kind of falling off a little bit and doesn't mean we're we won't bring others in because absolutely we will but um yeah we just want to want to have a good time want to be excited about the country we live in and just help whatever guests we have on further whatever endeavors they got going on maybe it just might be telling their story great uh well, maybe it might, you know doing their business whatever
0: i love that and so obviously Warhog tactical is on instagram twitter uh, Facebook, and you have a website, obviously. Um, yeah, it's great. I recommend everyone go check it out. Definitely the Instagram page because I think that's the way social media I really like. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just some awesome videos about you and your dog and your training and stuff that's saving lives. And uh, I wish you all the success for everything you guys are doing, and uh, thank you for your service.
1: Yeah, thank you for your support, brother. And, and here's the thing. Duco's got his stuff as well. So pretty yes. much War, War Dog Duco because – yeah, you know, Warhog Tactical, that's that's the business page. Um, kind of, hey, here's what we got going on. Do I plug, you know, Duco stuff in there as well? I do. Uh, I wanted to kind of do something for him just because we were kind of doing some cool stuff along the way. And then we've also got, you know, the On the Range podcast. that at least has an IG page, but you can pretty much, you know, Google um, On the Range and it'll come up on any of your major podcast platforms.
0: No, oh, I love it. Uh, well, thank you for your time tonight, and uh, we'll stay in touch, be safe, and, uh,
1: absolutely, brother. Thank you,
0: thank you.